and we have uh, John Davis uh, from the Department of Finance. Uh, he works in the development uh, division and has a lot to say and I think a lot of ideas uh, uh, to bring here about debt and the issue of financing uh, for development. Hello everyone. Um, so I drew the graveyard shift here and I know that you've been sitting here a while so I'm going to try to go through this relatively quickly for you and I'd rather hear your questions. Um, I just titled my presentation Development Finance. I think rethinking development finance may have been a bit ambitious for the for I guess what I'd probably be allowed to talk about today, but uh, also for I guess the time I had to, to put into this. But I think it's, it's um, my presentation is also, sorry. Oh, ah, here we go. Ah, here, I'm just gonna use the, the board here. So it's actually, I've, I've structured very similarly to Amar's presentation, though I think we, we come at it from a, a slightly different angle. Um, I'm going to spend a little bit of time just going over mostly the macro effects of the crisis um, because it's a good tee up to sort of describe what we've done in the past year, in particular the Government of Canada. Um, and then going forward, sort of things on my to-do list, particularly in, I'm in the short-term world right now and it's really about 2010. So, Again, it's a very simplistic way to look at how the transmission sort of of the crisis, uh, but, and this deck was actually started and prepared last spring. Um, a lot of talk in the beginning that, in fact, the crisis wasn't really going to affect developing countries. It'd be relatively contained to the big banks, uh, developed countries. You know, that changed very quickly with, uh, as liquidity dried up, uh, there was credit crunch, middle income countries were hit. Um, and very quickly low-income countries were hit as the economy, the global economy slowed. That's sort of, you know, there's many different analogies you can use to the, to the crisis, but it's sort of how we started to look at things. Now, this has played out on, on the macro side on balanced payments, fiscal imbalances, and, and the debt issues, which you guys, I'm sure, have talked about a lot in the last day or two. But, you know, obviously when you're in a developing country and you're also worried about social protection, um, economic stimulus, things we almost take for granted here, when these, com when these problems are compounded, it's, it, it presents a really difficult challenge. So I'm just going to try to skim over a couple of numbers, which I think at least, th again, these are numbers from that were coming out last spring, but sort of drove a lot of our analysis. Um, this t this t chart is showing um, financial inflows uh, to developing countries, namely foreign exchange earnings, drying up immensely and across the board pretty much 20 to 40 percent uh, change over in two years and in, in, even in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, so in, in terms of how this presents itself, uh, this is just sort of a graph or sort of a, a map of what the IMF would call sort of vulnerable to BOP crisis, but there's a, there's a pretty strong correlation to countries that are, need, are going to need to go to the IMF. Again, this, was, this is probably about six months old, so you can imagine the red and the the orange would, uh, are, are, there's probably a number of more countries actually filled in and are going, they're going to need to go to the IMF. Um, in terms of the, the gaps this is created, I mean, this is, again, this is, this is somewhat dated, but 38 low-income countries were looking like they're going to suffer a balance of payments problem. Um, depending on how you convert that, uh, in terms of the extent of the crisis, that's going to create a huge financing gap, even if as reserves are, are, are brought down. Um, the number that back then was between 25 and 138 billion, I believe. Um, 
took this chart from a, an interesting presentation the World Bank gave over the summer, Carlos Braga, which many of you may know. He, this is just sort of a, a just obvious graph of, of the financing gaps over the next few years, the external financing gaps. Um, when you switch to the internal gaps, again, uh, uh, as with Canada, all countries are, are under enormous fiscal pressure. Um, in, on, on average, uh, fiscal gaps widened by 2% of GDP over the last, uh, over the last year. Uh, you can see Europe and uh, Central Asia particularly affected, but so is Sub-Saharan Africa. Now this, you can convert all this to, to debt problems, and uh, I, I'm sorry, I missed the, the debt, most of the debt presentation, and, and apologize for repeating myself here, but um, whether you cut it at IDA only or HIPAA countries, there are worrying signs. Uh, you've got about 22 countries at high risk or countries in debt distress in, amongst poor countries. Um, even countries that have completed the HIPAA process, so countries that have gone through MDRI, HIPAA, are starting, the numbers are starting to turn, uh, uh, to turn south on them. Now, the thing about the debt issue, though, I think is the extent of the crisis in terms of the length of the crisis, how long it's going to last, and the terms of new borrowing. You can see the graph on the left. If you, if you do access on IDA terms with a uh, sort of a mild crisis, you, you can come out of it r relatively well. On the other hand, if it is a prolonged crisis, it is more commercial terms, you're looking at another 10 years of, of uh, uh, of, of problems, and the line, the 150 line, is just sort of a general benchmark we use that sort of marks the debt sustainability. In the, when all this is taken and sort of converted to the real economy or to the average person, I guess, um, uh, again, uh, the signs are not are not good. Again, all the all these quotes are taken from earlier in the year, and I think you could probably have been collecting them over the past few months. And um, certainly, the FAO has come out with more revised numbers of late. Uh, many of you in the room are a lot much better than, than I would be in terms of explaining transmission of sort of macroeconomic challenge to, to the average poor person. Um, what, you know, whether you look at pact on remittances, uh, government services, and so on, there's lots of different ways to explain the transmission channels. Um, again, these are World Bank numbers, but the number of poor, either on a dollar twenty-five a day or two dollars a day. Um, are expected to grow dramatically, especially you see the two-dollar days is almost a doubling. Though you know a lot of a lot of our work in the crisis began with sort of coming out of the the fuel crisis, the food crisis, and so on. Uh, food prices have, have come down a bit, but you could see even with you when you're starting to look at a major impact on purchasing power of incomes of, of poor people, uh, that's really the driver. So. You know, even even when we're looking at some countries, it's quite a differentiated experience. You know, Bangladesh has seen prices come down for average food staples, but countries like Kenya um, and so on, food prices are still going up. So you've got the twin problems of rising food prices and, and diminishing uh, incomes of poor people. So, and just in terms of just to summarize, I didn't go through. I've got many graphs and so on. I didn't add to this presentation as well. But uh, whether you look, all the charts are. Uh, uh, show, show declining trends, whether that's in FDI, uh, exports, volatile capital, uh, commodity prices, lowering, dropping trade finance, and so on. Um, again, this, this is, a, this is uh, macro problems in general are, are, are quite se severe, um, and I think I, I agree with Amar that um, financing is not sufficient to, be, to, uh, to cover the problem. 
Um, that being said, 2009 was an extraordinary year. Um, you know, the, I don't go through all the IMF things, but there, there's a lot more money put into the system um, for the IMF, uh, $8 billion more for low-income lending. There's new, new instruments, which was, you know, a lot of work to restructure the Poverty Growth Reduction Growth Trust, the exogenous shocks facility, created a flexible credit line. Things aren't perfect yet, but a lot of policy work has gone on. Um, and at the World Bank, the, the front-loading and moving forward, $100 billion over the next three years. It is at record levels. Uh, started capital increase discussions at the IBRD and I, the IFC. Um, many different facilities set up for agricultural support, trade finance, and so on. And all the, all the regional banks have a similar story. It's worth, if you're interested in, in this, whether it's the Asian Bank, African Bank, and so on, all have done tremendous things over the past year. And you know, I'm, I'm biased here, <laughs> but I think Ken has actually played a, a pretty big role as well. I mean, we not, obviously in the IMF we've put out a lot more resources, but um, one thing that we've done over the summer with both the Inter-American Development Bank and the African Bank was basically leverage off our credit rating. We've extended, uh, we've tripled in the African Bank case the callable capital we have at this bank. Um, we've doubled the callable capital at the, at the Inter-American Bank, and in both cases, that's allowed lending headroom to rise by 70, 80 percent in these banks. So we're that we we've got some really smart people in, in the group right now. We've we've, we've worked this through. We um, the Prime Minister announced both of those. Uh, it's, it's a it's a it's a major infusion of liquidity for both these regions. Um, in addition, the Asian, Cap the Asian Development Bank capital increase, there's agreement to triple that. Uh, we, we put in, in uh, loan resources, the IFC Trade Finance Initiative. Um, the Prime Minister announced at the Italian summit more money for food security. And, and if you're interested, we can, I can run through various debt things that we've done as well. Um, so in terms of the challenges ahead, I think it's sort of, you know, as, um, as, as Amar was saying, I think the issue of recovery being uncertain is on our minds. I mean, there's a bit of an assumption that we're out of the crisis. That's in no way certain. Um, there's an assumption that political momentum will keep going to put more resources in uh, into the global system through the multilateral banks. That's not certain. And there's an assumption that we'll now, as part of that, uh, switch gears a bit with more focus on low-income countries. And that certainly, I would say, when you look at things that we're looking at now, I mean, a big part of it. I mean, one, one, one thing to keep in mind is uh, we've got six capital increase discussions going on. Um, is major resetting of global development finance over the next few years and how much money is going to be um, allocated to these banks. Uh, likely replenishments of IDA and the African Development Fund. In fact, they're in Tunis right now talking about the ADF. Um, looking at resources for the IMF's low-income country lending, and there's different ways of going about that. One issue is SDR, but just actually giving loan resources or subsidiary resources to PRGF is, is another thing that's worth exploring. Um, the Global Fund for AIDS, TB, and malaria is up for replenishment, and of course um, the Copenhagen outcome and, and how climate change finance will be dealt with is another issue. Um, food security uh, is, is a big uh, issue on everyone's radar, uh, but a lot of the money that's gone into the system is not ongoing money, and that needs to be sorted out. 
Um, the one issue to, that I'd end on is debt sustainability, just in terms of what's on our radar in terms of middle-income countries, particularly the Caribbean. There's, there are a lot of signs to worry. Um, the kind of the way we go about dealing with debt is not the way we've done in the past. I mean, the way we went in the past is the Paris Club, and the Paris Club. When you talk, someone mentioned Jamaica. Well, Jamaica is probably the most debt-stressed country in the world right now. Only three percent of its debt is to the Paris Club. Is the debt it owes to itself? Its, its own banks owe to or uh, creditors to the country. Um, is much more difficult to deal with the restructuring on domestic debt, international bondholders, and so on. Uh, and this is something that we're going to have to work through. And that's it. Thanks. Okay, thank you.